Hello, everyone, and welcome to the August 1st edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Fols, an attorney with Floyd, Skarn and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our regulatory report. A new law just signed by Governor Brown says goodbye to the ACOM guidelines and hello to the new designation, the MTUS. In 2003, SB 899 required the DWC to create an evidence-based medical guideline as the standard for appropriate treatment for injured workers. While the guideline was in development, SB 899 required the use of the ACOM guidelines, which are a set of widely utilized guidelines used by many other state workers' compensation systems. Then, in 2009, the DWC promulgated the California-specific guideline known as the Medical Treatment Utilization Schedule, or MTUS. The MTUS utilized many of the chapters that make up ACOM, but also referenced additional guidelines or developed independent guidelines in specific areas. As such, while ACOM is still used as part of the MTUS, it no longer operates as a standalone guideline. And the references to ACOM in the Labor Code can be confusing. The DWC has asked for the Labor Code to be cleaned up to remove references to ACOM. And the new SB 914, signed into law by Governor Brown this month, is intended to accomplish this goal. The California Neurology Society, the Society of Industrial Medicine and Surgery, and the California Society of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation voiced support for the new law and there was no opposition reported in the legislative record. SB 914 takes effect next January. Although the words American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine's Occupational Medicine Practice Guidelines, or ACOM Guidelines, as they are generically known, disappear from Labor Code Section 4614.4. But much of the actual text of ACOM guidelines remains as part of the MTUS, which is adopted by the DWC regulation. The bulk of the MTUS chapters is a straightforward citation directly to the equivalent chapter of ACOM. Thus, although the ACOM guideline will no longer be with us by name, it will most assuredly be with us by substance. The DWC has, however, added chapters to the MTUS where ACOM did not address needed topics. For example, the MTUS has its own chapter on acupuncture, chronic pain, and post-surgical treatment, and it will soon add a chapter on opiates. And on the topic of opiate addiction, this prompted the federal government to pass the Comprehensive Addiction and Recovery Act this month. Legal and illegal opiate drug overdoses are now the leading cause of death in the United States, ahead of motor vehicle accidents and firearms. A number of federal legislative proposals have recently been introduced to address this crisis. In a bipartisan effort, both the House and Senate appointed conferences to hammer out differences. While addressing opioid abuse is bipartisan in nature, there was disagreement on process and content throughout the legislative process. One area of debate was funding for the new bill. 
The act passed in the Senate by a 90-2 vote after Democrats followed their colleagues in the House of Representatives and dropped calls for the legislation to include additional funding. The new law with the acronym CARA, C-A-R-A, includes several provisions concerning the need for expansion of prevention and education on the misuse of prescription painkillers and heroin. Under the Act, law enforcement agencies and first responders are permitted to distribute naloxone for the reversal of overdose. Evidence-based treatment and intervention programs for incarcerated individuals and those across the country will be implemented. There will be safe disposal sites for prescription medications to diminish the opportunity for ill use. The Act creates a medication-assisted treatment program for pain management and expands state drug monitoring programs to eliminate doctor shopping. Now, stakeholders will be watching closely for implementing rules, regulations, as well as any grant opportunities. The DWC is now accepting applications for the Qualified Medical Evaluator Examination which will be given on October 29. Physicians who wish to take the exam must submit a completed original application for appointment as qualified medical evaluator. If someone previously submitted an application for the April exam, they are not required to submit another application, but they must send all other documentation and fees required to, the com- to complete the registration for the October examination. The application and all required documentation must be reviewed and approved by the DWC before a physician can be registered for the exam. The application must be postmarked by September 15 in order to qualify for this test. Qualified registrants will receive a confirmation letter along with a candidate information booklet. All physicians are required to pay a non-refundable, non-rollover, $125 fee to sit for any upcoming QME examination. Before appointment as a QME, the physician must also complete a 12-hour course in disability evaluation report writing approved by the administrative director. The DWC will assess the annual QME fee after candidates have successfully passed the QME competency exam. And now our crime report. A new report says that CMS provider integrity efforts reduces losses by the older pay and chase payment scheme. The CMS report shows that the investments made in program integrity activities pay off. Every dollar invested in CMS Medicare program integrity efforts over the last few years saved $12.40 for the Medicare program. Total savings from the program integrity efforts were nearly $42 billion over the two-year period covered by the report. CMS has achieved this impact by using a multifaceted approach ranging from provider enrollment and screening standards to use of enforcement authorities to use of advanced analytics such as predictive modeling. Officials are in the third year of implementing sophisticated predictive analytics technology to prevent and detect fraud. 
It is using the anti-fraud authorities provided in the Affordable Care Act and the Small Business Jobs Act of 2010. The fraud prevention system was created by the Small Business Jobs Act and CMS has extensively used its tools. Since CMS implemented the technology, the fraud prevention system has identified or prevented $820 million in inappropriate payments. During the third year, the program savings were 80% higher than the previous year with a nearly 10 to 1 return on investment. Thus, CMS's efforts to proactively prevent potentially fraudulent and improper payments by moving away from the pay-and-chase method of recovering payments after they already have been made. The primary focus was identifying providers with the most egregious behavior for investigation by the new Zone Program Integrity Contractors. In future years, CMS will expand fraud prevention system efforts and will provide technical assistance to states that decide to implement predictive analytics technology. 68-year-old Dr. Michael Roger Cairatino, who lives in San Rafael, was indicted by a federal grand jury in 2014 and was charged with 15 counts of distribution of controlled substances. He pleaded guilty this March to one count of distributing oxycodone, a Schedule II controlled substance, outside the usual course of professional practice and without a legitimate medical purpose. According to his plea agreement, Charotino admitted that he prescribed large quantities of controlled substances to undercover DEA agents posing as patients in exchange for cash. Caratino also admitted that he met with patients and wrote prescriptions for controlled substances at his office known as North Bay Pain Management Services. He was sentenced this July to three years in prison. Caratino's medical license is currently suspended. He will begin serving the sentence on October 20. The prosecution is the result of an investigation by the Drug Enforcement Administration, the Livermore Police Department, the Pleasanton Police Department, and the Medical Board of California. A member of the Red Bluff City Council who is wanted on fraud charges was arrested recently at a Florida airport as he was attempting to flee the country. 43-year-old Surin J. Patel was heading to somewhere in the Caribbean when he was arrested on an outstanding warrant out of Tehama County Superior Court in California. The district attorney's office had an investigation into Patel's activities for nearly a year and charges against him since last month. Patel was the owner of the America's Best Value Inn in Red Bluff, California. He faces several charges, including workers' compensation fraud, perjury, and conspiracy to commit welfare fraud, and also faces charges for not paying taxes to the city. Officials claim Patel did not pay taxes he owed to the city as the owner of the inn. Patel is also being investigated for embezzlement in connection with a complaint filed by a guest at the hotel who said her credit card was charged $6,000 after she stayed there. Authorities opened the investigation against Patel and the district attorney's office took computers, cell phones, and business records from the business. 
During the investigation, investigators learned Patel had not paid workers' compensation insurance and was committing welfare fraud by getting two employees' benefits. As a result of this case, the city has changed how it will collect taxes from hotel owners and will conduct more audits. After charges were filed in June, a warrant for his arrest was issued, and officers went to his residence in Sacramento to arrest him, but he could not be found. Officials were then alerted to his whereabouts when he attempted to catch a plane in Florida to leave the country. Patel is now in jail in Brevard County, Florida, held on $250,000 bail while he awaits extradition to California. And in medical news, the the medical literature is very inconsistent with respect to the effects of head trauma and concussion injury to professional athletes. And these claims are becoming far more common in workers' compensation claims departments. Researchers now say that the brain may show signs of concussion for months or years after the injury occurred. For this new study, researchers recruited 43 varsity athletes from a variety of contact and non-contact sports, including volleyball, hockey, soccer, American football, rugby, basketball, and lacrosse. Using advanced MRI scans, researchers found evidence of brain shrinkage in the frontal lobes of athletes with a history of concussions compared to those who never had a concussion. The frontal lobe is involved in decision-making, problem-solving, and impulse control. But the researchers say it's unclear whether the concussion-related changes actually affected those abilities. They also found less blood flow to certain areas of the brain, mainly the frontal lobes. A decrease in blood flow means less oxygen to areas of the brain, which means the brain won't function properly. But these changes cannot be easily interpreted as damage. The bigger question is whether athletes with concussions should be monitored more closely, especially if they continue to participate in sports. According to a study by the U.S. Department of Defense and National Collegiate Athletic Association, up to 3.8 million Americans are estimated to experience recreation-related concussions every year. The FDA has approved a new ablating procedure to treat back pain. Chronic low back pain lasting 12 weeks or longer affects nearly one-third of the nation's population. Spine injury is common in a workers' compensation claim department's inventory. Treatments for low back pain range from non-invasive to invasive, physical therapy, pain medications, to major surgery such as spinal fusion. Now, a minimally invasive nerve ablating procedure recently cleared by the Food and Drug Administration may give some people with chronic low back pain a new treatment option. The treatment uses radiofrequency energy to disable the targeted nerve responsible for low back pain. Under local anesthesia, with mild sedation, through a small opening in the patient's back, an access tube is inserted into the vertebral body, a specific bony structure of the spine. Radiofrequency energy is transmitted through the device creating heat, which disables the nerve. The access tube is then removed. The minimally invasive, implant-free procedure takes less than one hour. 
The technology is indicated for treating one or more levels between L3 and S1 in people that have not responded to more common treatments for over six months. The main side effect of radiofrequency ablation is some discomfort, including swelling and bruising at the site of the treatment, but this generally goes away after a few days. As with any medical procedure, RFA is not appropriate for everyone. For example, it is not recommended for people who have active infections or bleeding problems. Around half of all major surgery in some countries is now done with robotic procedures. The United States, UK, and India are among the leading proponents, but many other countries are also reporting that a significant proportion of surgical procedures are now robotics-assisted. Harvard Medical School conducted a study of the U.S. around 5,000 cancer patients between the years of 2003 and 2010, and it found that the number of surgical procedures that were robotic-assisted went from 0.7% to 50% over those years. It also found that the use of robot-assisted surgery was more common among surgeons at teaching hospitals and at intermediate and large-size hospitals, as well as urban hospitals. The Harvard team calculated that robot-assisted surgery increased the overall cost of the hospital, contributing to a 40% increase in annual expenditures. And in another study by NHS England, it found that robotics were used to assist surgeons in 49 to 50% of the time in some types of cancer cases, such as prostate cancer. The UK report said it found no difference in the operative time or the duration of the operation itself, but patients having a robot-assisted procedure had shorter lengths of admissions. Other medical professionals found that robotic-assisted cardiac surgery increased by 600% over the last four-year period. And orthopedic surgery robots use 3D imaging technology and computer navigation techniques to improve the ability of surgeons to place implants with precise alignment. Many studies have shown that these techniques are safer and more effective as compared to traditional orthopedic surgical techniques. Though emerging technology does not guarantee better results, robotics has always been effective in hip and knee replacement surgeries. Improvements in technology and new methods of verification for implant sizing and placement are significant for patients and surgeons. And another study says that combining medications improve fibromyalgia treatment outcomes. Fibromyalgia was initially thought to be a musculoskeletal disorder. Research now suggests it's a disorder of the central nervous system, the brain and spinal cord. Researchers believe that fibromyalgia amplifies painful sensations by affecting the level and activity of brain chemicals responsible for processing brain signals. Now researchers claim that combining pregabalin, an anti-seizure drug, with duloxetine, an antidepressant, can safely improve outcomes in fibromyalgia. This includes not only pain relief, but also physical function and overall quality of life. 
Until now, these two drugs have been proven individually to treat fibromyalgia pain. But this new study is the first evidence demonstrating the superiority of a duloxetine-pergrablin combination over either drug alone. Based upon clinical measures used in the study, the drug combination improves multiple clinical outcomes versus a monotherapy. This new research was published in the journal Pain. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news. Thank you.